Well, good morning. It's good to be uh, together this morning in the house of the Lord. It's so wonderful to have um, everybody together. If you're uh, a guest with us this morning, if this is your first time, I want to welcome you and pray you make yourself at, uh, feeling at home this morning and invite you to uh, share in this time of celebration and great joy in which we uh, participate in uh, this morning. What a great message last week we got from Pastor Frank. I encourage you, uh, if you didn't get a chance to listen to his message and the reminder of, of the fact that we don't need to worry. We don't need to be anxious, right? God God loves us and he's got our back. And and and, and uh, Jesus says, my castle, you care upon me. And so uh, I encourage you to uh, um, go back and check that out on our web and uh, be encouraged. Uh, this morning as we enter into another month, can you believe it's July already? It's, it's crazy how quick things are going uh, by, but um, our, our, our history has always been on the first Sunday of the month, we gather together and we, uh, 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 we celebrate the Lord's table together. And uh, this morning, we've got a lot going on. We've got some really exciting things that we are able to celebrate together as a family. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. We're going to celebrate baptisms this morning. We're going to celebrate a baby dedication this morning. And, uh, but mostly, we're going to celebrate Jesus this morning. And so uh, it's going to be a, a, a day that's rich uh, in, in, uh, this morning. And I just thought, you know, as we, as we engaged uh, in looking at the calendar, I thought, I don't want to rush through communion. In fact, I want to kind of slow it up a little bit. I want to take a moment to really make sure that we consider uh, what we're doing when we come to the table, right? Too many times we can um, get used to communion together and it becomes a religious exercise that we really kind of get, we kind of get disconnected sometimes from that. And so we're always trying to um, assess how do we keep it fresh and, 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 and applicable at the same time where it doesn't become common, right? And so we're kind of always wrestling with that and, and um, praying um, as far as the frequency that we come uh, to the table. Some churches like ours, um, we've historically become once a month. Some churches celebrate it every single week. Um, some churches don't even have communion together, which is really shocking to me. They just encourage people to do it at home. And, and so... Uh, this morning, I don't want to focus so much on the frequency of communion, but the sacredness of communion. Because, you know, when we think about frequency, I, I think to myself, I know some people who partake of it every single week, and it becomes common to them. It's just kind of like part of the, the, the thing, like singing a song, and, 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 and that can cause a little bit of a disconnect. Sometimes, like us, well, we do it once a month. Sometimes it's so far and few between, we don't realize the, the significance that it ought to play in our lives. And so um, we're, always, we're always wrestling with that. But for this morning, I want to kind of focus our attention on what does the Scripture have to say about communion? Why do we gather? Why is the church historically always gathered around the table and partook of the Lord's Supper? We see the introduction of communion at the gathering of Jesus and his disciples, right? Jesus is with his disciples, and they are they're celebrating the Passover. Um, this is something that Jews had done every single year. This wasn't the first time that Jesus had done this with his disciples, but, but at this moment, they're celebrating the Passover. This was a, a remembrance meal that, that every Jew would celebrate on a yearly basis, 
It was rich in, in symbolism, and it served as a reminder of, of God's faithful care and provision for his people when, when God delivered them from slavery in Egypt. It was, intent, it was a meal that was intended for them to kind of look back, to remember and, and retell the story of God's, of, of God's faithfulness, of God's delivering them from the bondage of slavery. And so they have this memorial meal. They'd have this, this meal of remembrance. And on that Passover table, they were, there were various items that they were supposed to have present on the table. On the table of the Passover, there would be these, these bitter herbs. And they would partake of these bitter herbs, and those bitter herbs were there to serve as a reminder of the, of the bitter times they experienced as slaves in Egypt. Also on that table would be a bowl of, of salty water, and they would take those bitter herbs, and they would, they would dip them in the salty water, that salty water representing the, the tears that would flow from the eyes of those who were in bondage, those who were under the tyranny of Egyptian rule. Additionally, there would be kerosene on a plate on the table. Kerosene was a, a mixture of, of chopped apples and nuts and, and wine and, and spices that would form like a, a, like a paste kind of a thing. And it was kind of reminded them of the mortar that they would use to make the bricks that the Egyptian rulers would make the slaves make at, a, at, at an unrealistic rate. But even more than that, it would, it would serve as a reminder of their, of their unfair labor and their suffering. And they, they would partake of these things and they would remember. On that table would be the lamb. This lamb represented the, the lamb that would be slain, the one that in Exodus we see that God instructed his people because God was about to deliver his people by sending the death angel over the land of Egypt. And the firstborn of every home would be killed as judgment against the people. But God instructed his people to get a lamb and shed its blood and smear the blood of the lamb on the doorpost of their home so that when the death angel would come, if he saw the blood on the doorpost, the death angel would pass over that house. That's where they got the word Passover from. It was a reminder that the blood saved people from judgment. What a great reminder that for us to look at in the connection when we think about the blood of Jesus that saves us from the judgment of God. On that table, there would always be various forms of wine. This symbolized the joy and the celebration that they would gather together considering God's deliverance. It would also serve as a reminder of the blood from the Passover lamb that was sacrificed. It represented the covenant between God and his people, that God had not forgotten his people. And so this was the meal that Jesus was celebrating with his disciples. This, this was when we talk about the, the Last Supper or the Lord's Table, right? This is what they were doing. Jesus, like he had done every other year with his disciples, they were celebrating the Passover. But this night was going to be different than any other night. You see, all of the other Passovers that they celebrated it pointed to God's provision in the past, but today was going to be dif different because Jesus presents himself as God's provision to the people, right? As the fulfillment of what all the other Passovers pointed to, he sat there in their midst. 
Jesus was and is that Passover lamb. His blood was shed for us as the only means by which we could be forgiven from God so that the death angel of eternal death would not touch our lives, that the blood of Christ would be applied to our hearts and we would be in right standing with God. He was sacrificed as our lamb so that we might be forgiven of our sins. Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, he says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. There is no other way to have our sins forgiven. We can't go to enough church services. You can't give enough money. You can't create and do enough good works. There's nothing we can do to gain the forgiveness of God. Only the blood of Jesus Christ. And it's recognizing that Christ is the only means of our forgiveness. That's why, hey, if there was any other way, Christ would have not come. But there was no other way. And so Christ came. Anthony, one of our elders, shared those words from Isaiah this morning. Surely he, Christ, has borne our griefs. He carried our sorrows. This was written 750 years prior to the crucifixion of Christ. This was written years and centuries before crucifixion was even invented. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Christ was the penalty or the punishment or the chastisement that brought us our peace. And with his wounds, we are healed here's the part I can really identify with like all we like sheep have gone astray we've all turned every one of us to his own way but the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all Christ absorbed God's wrath for us so that we instead of receiving God's wrath would receive his favor and his love And so when we talk about communion, it's important to note that the only people who ought to partake of communion are those who have placed their trust in Jesus Christ as the lamb whose blood was shed for their sins. It's not a snack time in the church, right? It's a a moment to reflect where we say, yes, I have applied that to my life. The only people who partook of the Passover were the Jews because they experienced God's deliverance. Likewise, the only people who should partake of communion are those who have experienced the deliverance from sin by having the blood of Christ applied to their lives. And so before we partake of the symbol of Christ this morning, if you've not asked Christ to come into your life, don't settle for the symbol, but go for the person of Christ. Asking Christ to come into your heart and to, to forgive you of your sins because he came and died for you and for me so that we can be reconciled, brought closer and in right standing with God. There are six things I want to highlight this morning real quickly that that we see in communion that highlights the significance 
of communion. Why do we gather? Why is this so important? Why has the church throughout the centuries, despite all of the divisions and schisms and disagreements and doctrines and everything that the church may have agreed or disagreed on, there's always been this point where we'd come back to the table and we'd celebrate the death and the breaking of his body and the shedding of his blood. What are some significant things that we were able to see in the communion? The first thing that I want to highlight this morning is the, is the symbolic significance of communion. The symbolic significance. As I mentioned before, in the same way that there is so much symbolism in, in the Passover, likewise there is so much symbolism in communion. I mean, here's Jesus at the table and, and there's, the, there's, there's, the, there's the water and the, and, and, and the salty water and the bitter herbs and the, the shank bone of the, of the lamb and, and the wine and all the symbolism is there. And then Jesus, he breaks from tradition and he reaches for the bread and he said, this is my body, it's broken for you. And he reaches for the cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Shed for you, do this in remembrance of me. And so we see that there's tremendous symbolic significance to the communion that we share in. We partake of the bread and the cup because it reminds us that, that Christ's body was broken. And not only broken, but it was broken for us. His blood was shed for you and for me. That wasn't a historic event that doesn't apply to us today. I have found right standing in God. I have found wholeness and significance in my relationship with God because of the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus today. And while it remains a symbol, it does so without minimizing one bit the significance of what it represents. His body, his blood. We see the symbolic significance. Secondly, we see the, the spiritual sustenance. You've got to appreciate the wisdom of God. God knew that if we ever wanted people to remember things, tie it to a meal. Right? People haven't changed one bit. When you read through the Old Testament, every one of the, every one of the feasts, were, they were there for a purpose. They would, they would eat and they would feast as a reminder of God's provision, of God's faithfulness, right? of, God, of, of God's love for them. So God knew if we want people to remember things, tie it to a meal. It's the internalization of truth that causes us to remember. And we see such spiritual sustenance because communion provides that very thing, spiritual sustenance. Not for our stomachs, because if you look at that little piece of matzah and that little cup, that's not going to do much for us. But for our souls, for our spirits. It's a reminder that, that Christ is our daily bread. He is everything I need. And I am to internalize him. Listen to these words from Jesus. This is, this is imagine this is, the, perhaps this is the, the first time you'll hear it, uh, but, but imagine you're a Jew and you're sitting at the feet of Jesus and he is speaking to the crowd and, and Jesus says these words. John chapter six and verse 53, truly, truly I say to you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. 
Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Could you imagine what was going on in the mind of his hearers? John will record after those words were spoken, many of them no longer followed Jesus. It's getting real right now, right? In fact, many of the, the leaders who persecuted the Christians would, would, would falsely claim that Christians were cannibals because they took this in a literal sense. Jesus said, whoever, listen, it gets worse, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him as the living Father has sent me and I live because of the Father. Look, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This, speaking of himself, this is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread that your fathers ate and died. No, Jesus says, look, whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. And it said many left of those words. What is Jesus saying here? It's obviously not encouraging anybody to eat anybody. But it is the internalization of all that Christ is, all that he taught, to bring it inside, to apply it. In communion, we internalize the Savior. We, we nourish our spirit. When we partake of the bread and the cup, we are remembering that it was only his broken body, it was only his shed blood that are the means by which I can have relationship with God. The third thing that communion teaches us is that we have a shared fellowship. Shared fellowship. Communion is important because it's a reminder of our, fair, of our shared fellowship with one another. It's a reminder that Christ is the center of our gathering. It's in communion that we share in the rich history of what our brothers and our sisters throughout the ages, right all the way back to the time where Christ inaugurated the Lord's table. All throughout the centuries, the body of Christ has come together and participated in this supper, in this remembrance of Christ's body and blood. And we have a shared fellowship the church has always disagreed about other th many things, right? There's always been conflict as to what we believe, and there's always been schisms and divisions and, and all kinds of debates, but we gather around this one thing. We recognize that it is only because of his blood, only because of his, of his blood that was shed for us and his body that was broken for us, that it makes us the family of God. Listen to what Paul says. He says in verse, uh, chapter 10 and verse 16, of, of, of 1 Corinthians, he says, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Look, because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of one bread. He's speaking of, of the union that we have in Christ that is because of his body, because of his blood, that we are the family of God. We have a shared fellowship. Fourthly, communion is important because it's a time of self-reflection and examination. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 28. He says, let a person examine himself. 
and then eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Paul goes on to say, that is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. Interestingly, in the context of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it is certainly it is a call to examine our own hearts. We recognize that when we come to the table, we are reminded that Christ paid the price so that our sins can be forgiven. And so we come to the table and we're reminded that I can confess my sins, as the scripture says, and because of that, he is faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. Why? Because of the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus. And so we come to the table and we examine our hearts. God, is there any areas of sin that I have not repented of and turned from? Are there relationships that I, have, I, have, I, have, I, that I, need, to, I need to make right? We examine our hearts. But it's also an assessment of how I am viewing the rest of the body of Christ. How do I see, how do I view, how do I assess the, the body of Christ, those who I am partaking with? First Corinthians chapter 11 that was written not to highlight the importance of communion, but actually what Paul was doing in First Corinthians chapter 11 is he was rebuking the church for not treating one another in the church rightly for not discerning the Lord's body. And he uses communion as a teaching tool to highlight the fact that we are one because of the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Look what he says here. He says, for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the Lord's body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. And then Paul says, it gets worse. He says, that's why so many of you are weak and ill and some have died. Not everyone, but some. That's what he's saying. He's highlighting the importance of our viewing the body of Christ rightly. Christ, listen, Christ loves his bride. Christ loves the church. And likewise, we are to have a proper understanding and appreciation and love for the church as well. It's something that God takes very serious. A person's honest view of Christ will be revealed in their view of the church, his bride, his body. You can't say, I love God and hate people, hate, hate the church. First John tells us, you're a liar and the truth is not in you. And we see a lot of connection in the scripture to our, between our love for God and how that love for God is to be revealed or proven The book, of, uh, the book of 1 John, the epistles of John. And we'll see that that teaching is taught all throughout the New Testament. But we have this shared fellowship with one another. And as a result of that, it highlights the importance and we need to examine and appreciate that. Number five, communion is important because it is a time of thankful remembrance. Like Passover, communion is the retelling of a story. It's not some just religious exercise. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. The idea is that, we, that the more we remember what Christ has done for us, the less we'll walk in guilt and shame, feeling like God is angry at us. 
Christ came so that we might be in right standing with God. Christ's blood was shed so that we might repent of our sins and walk in right standing with God. Too many Christians walk in guilt and shame because they don't realize the significance of what Christ has done. Now, if they're walking in guilt and shame because they haven't repented of their sins, that's a different story. We need to repent of our sins. We need to turn from those things. But listen, if you've come to Christ and you've asked Christ to forgive you of your sins, you need to let go of the past. It's under the blood. And what Christ has done is sufficient enough to set you free not only from sin, but from the guilt and shame that comes with that. Communion retells the story of redemption. It's the gospel. And then lastly, communion is important because it builds future anticipation. It builds future anticipation. Look what it says in verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Jesus is coming again. We've been talking a lot about that, about what awaits the child of God as we've been going through first and, and second Thessalonians. And what a joyful future we have as we sang about this morning. Present with the Lord forever. Absent from the presence of sin and sickness and disease and every other consequence of sin. We're reminded as we gather around the Lord's table that our future destination is secure because of his broken body and his shed blood. And if we have asked Christ to come into our life, we can have confidence in knowing we will spend all of eternity with him forever. If we have not done that, the scripture says nobody's promised tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation. It's not about joining a church. It's about asking God to forgive us of our sins. Coming into our heart and following hard after Jesus. And so we, before we partake of the symbol of Christ, let's make sure we partake of the person of Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life, that you might have it more abundantly. And so as our elders come forward this morning to prepare, our, prepare uh, to serve us for communion, I, I want to give you an opportunity to, to pause and reflect on what I just shared before we just engage in the religious, religious exercise, let's pause and consider the symbolic significance of what we're doing. How this, how this matzah and this juice remind us of Christ's body and Christ's blood. As we consider the spiritual sustenance thanking Jesus for being all that we need. I'm going to ask our worship team to come up at this time as well. Reflecting on the shared fellowship and the, that we have with one another. Maybe taking a pause in this space of quietness to close your eyes and talk to God yourself. Or as Paul said, examine your own heart. forgetting about the person to the right or your left and just talking to God. Having a moment of thankful remembrance for what Christ has done as a reminder that it's because of what he did that I can even talk to God. 
thankful for the future hope that we have that Christ is coming again. We celebrate that. This Passover was like unlike any other Passover that the disciples ever experienced with Jesus. And it was in the midst of that meal of remembrance that Jesus breaks with tradition and grabs the bread and he breaks it. And he said, this is my body. It's broken for you. He said, eat this in remembrance of me. Let's eat together remembering what Christ has done for us. disciples probably wondering what's he doing he's never done it like that before that wasn't part of the Passover but the one who all the other Passovers pointed to was in their midst and he grabbed the cup and he said this is the the cup of the new covenant new promise secured in my blood He said, drink this in remembrance of me. Let's drink together, remembering we drink the cup of redemption in Christ Jesus. Let's drink together. Let's stand together and let's respond to what we've just heard and participated in in worship and song.